Yeah, so Father, thank you that um, thank you that we do know you. Thank you that you know us. Thank you that you, um, you are in control and though we don't have the answers to things and the whys and the wherefores, and um, you do. You know, Lord. You know exactly what's going on at all times and you work all things together for good for those who love you. So I, I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for the reassurance of that promise that... Um, Nothing is outside of your control, that you know exactly what's going on and that you will cause all those things in our lives to work together for our good. And I praise you for that. I thank you for Emmy's baby. I thank you, Eloise, I think. So thank you for her. Thank you that for the healing that will go on with Emmy now as she recovers from, having, uh, to ha from the birth of her first baby. And Lord, for those of us who, who, under who have experienced that, we know that that might take a little time, but that you will be with her in that. And so um, we praise you for it, Lord. We, we thank you for new birth. Wow, it's an, um, just such a joy, Lord, and um, I praise you for it. And I ask, Father, that you would help us to be uh, mindful of our new birth and our, um, our life, the life that we have in you, and that we wouldn't take it for granted, that we would cherish it and look after this life that you have given us and live it for your glory, just as Rob lived it for your glory and was so strong even to the end, Lord. We praise you for that. And um, we, I thank you that he's now dancing and singing with you yes. in glory. So we praise you for it, Lord, and thank you for what you're going to show us now in this Luke's Gospel. And um, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Luke 3, then. If, um, uh, if, if we could read from verse 21, um, Luke chapter 3, from verse 21 to... Um, Chapter 4, verse 13, please. So maybe one person do the terrible genealogy, the, the names, and then whoever's brave, and then someone else do, the, do chapter 4. So Luke 3, 21, and then chapter 4, two, chapter four verse 13. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Matthias, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Chennai, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esri, the son of Nagai, the son of Marth, the son of Matthias, the son of Simon, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah, the son of Jehan, the son of Reza, the son of Jerobo, the son of Shilmatino, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Tosam, the son of Elmatum, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliza, the son of Jorim, the son of Matad, the son of Levi, the son of Smyrna, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonah, the son of Eliakim, the son of Eliad, the son of Menon, the son of Matata, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Adminadam, the son of Admin, the son of Ram, the son of Heshon, the son of Beres, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Jacob, Abraham, the son of 
Terra, the son of Nehor, the son of Zerug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Heber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Hashem, um, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Melan, the son of Kelman, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam. The son of God. <laughs> I always think when I'm when I'm reading those genealogies, either you know to myself or out loud, I always think, oh, for goodness sake, Lord, did you have to put all the names in? And then um, one day the Lord said to me, well, I put your name in a book somewhere, and that's perhaps being read right now. And so it was suddenly like these names took on a greater meaning that my name is written in the book of life and someone somewhere maybe is reading my name who knows so yeah so thank you anyway for that um so if someone else could read from verse one of chapter four to verse 13 please jesus full of the holy spirit returned from the jordan and was led around by the spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he let him up and show, led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. And he led him to, uh, and he led him to Jerusalem, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an appropriate time. Thank you. That's fine. Thank you. So one day, Luke says, after everyone else has been baptized, um, Jesus presents himself to John the Baptist and says that John should baptize him. And uh, it says in verse 21 of chapter 3, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened. So Luke is the only gospel writer who um, t tells us that Jesus was praying as he was baptized. Um, uh, which probably has various meanings, various layers of meanings. Uh, but one thing is that Jesus, even in his baptism, was um, seeking after the will of God, was talking to his father. Um, yeah. Matthew says, he records the same thing in Matthew chapter 3. Um, he records the baptism and he tells us a couple of other things. Then in verse 13 of Matthew 3, then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have no need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus, answering, said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. 
then he permitted him. So Matthew um, reminds us that John knew full well who Jesus was and knew he didn't need to baptize him. And so he's questioning why would Jesus come to him for baptism? And actually, he couldn't understand why that was. And often, we don't understand. And I think it's quite important for us to understand what Jesus was doing in being baptized in that way. He didn't need to be baptized. What was the baptism for? Just demonstration to the people, wasn't it? It was, but I mean, Jesus, it talks about uh, it's, it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So it's more than a demonstration. Mm. So what was he doing in his baptism? I mean, they had gone through in the waters of baptism. Mm. So what was that signifying for them? Yes, maybe, but I'm not sure that those who were baptized, remember he's, um, what's he doing in his baptism in the Jordan? Why does he have to do that? Because that's not going to show, his water baptism in the Jordan is not going to show anyone that he's king and priest. Yes, definitely. So what, but what else is Jesus doing? What's he doing in that? He's identifying with man, isn't it? He's identifying with us. Um, he's identifying with us, so that's one thing. Um, it represented what, what would later happen in, the, in his death, burial, and resurrection. So that was representing what would happen to him, literally. And it represented, because he identified with us, it represented what happens to us symbolically through water baptism and literally in our birth because in our new birth we are uh, we die with Christ we go under the waters of baptism we come up and re are resurrected and that's our identification with him so in his identification with us he goes through the waters of baptism it's quite an unusual thing actually when you think about it mm. why would he do that when he doesn't have to do that Through the Red Sea, yes, definitely. So there's something about this identification, I think, with A, his people, Israel, and B, those of us who would come afterwards. Jesus has fully identified with us. And Luke, when you think about it, Luke's gospel is about Jesus as man. Jesus as man and how he lived and how he talked and how he related to people as a man. Um, so... Uh, also, Luke records something um, that the baptism was the official start of his ministry. Actually, all the Gospels who talk about that, uh, Matthew will say that too. Uh, here he says, Jesus, um, Matthew, uh, sorry, Jesus, when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, which of course was the age when the Jewish priests came and started to take up their. I think so, definitely. Yes, I think so. There's a kind of sense that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and then the Holy Spirit coming on like a dove. But I think there's also more in that because Jesus says it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And in my Bible, I don't know about in yours, the us has no capital letter. So it sounds like he's talking to John the Baptist. It's fitting for us to do this 
to fulfill all righteousness. But I wonder, actually, in that, whether or not he means it's fitting for us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. I don't know, but it seems to me that the Trinity is present at that event. Mm. Jesus, the, God the Son, mm. is uh, baptized in the Jordan River. The uh, proclamation from God the Father, behold, my beloved Son, and the authentication and the start of his ministry mm. by the Holy Spirit. So it's the whole Trinity involved in, in, in his start to his ministry, but also in his identification with man. That's so... Mm. Poignant to me that the whole thing, whole trinity. Go, sorry, Mike. Well, go on. Me. I, I, he, he's, um, he's writing to Theophilus, and he's giving uh, in the with all these names, etc. The the connection of Jesus by the flesh. Yes, to man. exactly. And here we suddenly see this is the connection with the God. God exactly, exactly. And wow. that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because in a gospel where he doesn't need to include this. Matthew's included it in his gospel, but he does include it. So it's, I, I, I feel it's symbolic on so many levels, but one of the ways that I love it and I find actually quite moving is that is what God is telling me in my identification with Christ is that the whole Trinity is involved in my identification mm. with Christ. So... I'm I'm baptized as Christ in His blood, but the Father says, "This is my beloved child," mm. and the Holy Spirit authenticates, authorizes, starts off my life in Christ Jesus, and also my ministry in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit is also in, in enabling and authenticating. Um, so I think there's so much more in there, which mm. of course we we won't have time for. One day we'll go through word for word and see how we do. Go ahead. Followers of Christ uh, are very happy with the genealogy, and that's as far as they want to yes. go. When it comes to that infusion of the Holy Spirit, then that's a bridge to the Yes, yes, mm. yeah. Which is the really when you need to be. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. So, so I. Also, I find that um, when talking about the Trinity, it's extremely difficult yeah. to explain mm. that this is the best way yes. of yes. describing. Personification yes. of the Godhead. Exactly. Really, exactly. Yes. You, you know, people often ask, what is the Trinity? Yes, there it is. Yeah, it yeah. Is. exactly. And it is actually quite an amazing thing because when you read in Genesis, um, Genesis chapter 1, in the, beginning, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you have, and then it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of yes. the waters. So you have this water. You have God the Father, you have the Spirit hovering over the water, and then you find out later that it is the Word of God, the Son of God, who through whom God created the world. So there's this whole life, the life that began at the beginning was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The life that comes to us through Christ is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the way it will be at the end is that we will live eternally with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's just, yeah, as I say, we could go forever, in it, but... Um, so, so um, Jesus tells uh, John the Baptist it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And um, his baptism, of course, is a picture of 
uh, the reality of his death and his burial and his resurrection. And um, in that way, in his death, burial and resurrection, God fulfilled finally all righteousness. This was a picture of it and uh, his identification with us and then God would um, fulfill it. Um, so... When Jesus was baptized, and that is a picture of his fulfilling, or the Godhead fulfilling all righteousness, did that actually fulfill all righteousness? Yeah. No, because that's not going to be done until his de actual death, yes. burial, and resurrection. In the same way, water baptism doesn't save us. No. Water baptism is the picture of what does save us, and that is our identification with Christ, our death, our burial with him, and our being resurrected. So... Um, I just love the way that God does that. <laughs> he makes things simple. Yeah, and it's simple. When you see that that was symbolic of something that would happen to him later, our baptism by water is symbolic of something that's already happened to us. We've been yes. identified with Christ. And, um, yeah, yes, it is perfect. Um, and Jesus uh, talks about his baptism that he will undergo in Luke chapter 12, which we'll get to much later probably, but he talks about, I have a baptism to undergo, and you wouldn't want to come there with me. He's talking to his disciples. So, um, Okay, so um, this is, there are only three times that you hear the Father's voice in the, in the Gospels. This is one of those three times. Can you remember the others? You will remember them. God authenticating his son with a, a literal voice from heaven. So here at his baptism, transfiguration, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And then, the last time, in the week before his death, um, in uh, uh, John chapter 12, verse 28, um, John 12, 28. I mean, this is a momentous occasion when God speaks from heaven. John 12, 28. Um, uh, Jesus is saying in verse 27, Now my soul has been troubled, become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Yeah. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. Oh. I have yeah. both glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So this perfect kind of symmetry of Jesus' beginning of his ministry the, uh, his, his identification with man, the transfiguration on the mountain where we're shown what we will be like when we are transformed and with him in glory. And then this final um, uh, statement of, of God the Father to his son. Suffering is the way to glory. Suffering is the way to glory. So the beginning of his ministry, the middle of his ministry, and the end of his ministry, there is God saying, this is my beloved son. This is the way. Walk in it. You know, this is a painful way, but this is the way. Um, so Luke interrupts, actually. He just starts to tell you about this baptism. And um, he interrupts almost the, the story because in chapter 4, he's going to say, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. And he interrupts it with this long genealogy that... Um, that takes us from um, uh, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, all the way to the son of God. Mm -hmm. So why does he do that, do you think? Mm -hmm. Matthew begins with Abraham and moves back 
uh, sorry, moves forward to Jesus. Luke begins with Jesus and moves back to Adam. Why does he do that? Yes, I think it has got to do with that. So what's, what's Luke? Luke's writing a gospel for predominantly for the Gentiles. They don't know. Matthew writes uh, his genealogy because he wants to prove that Jesus is the king of the Jews. So it's important. It comes from Abraham. Um, but Luke now is identifying this son of man with mankind. So he takes the genealogy back to Adam. And actually, he says here, when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli. So most, most commentators think that he took the genealogy from Mary all the way back to Adam. But no matter, because he goes back to Adam, what's the point he's making in taking the genealogy back to Adam and then on one more step, the son of God? But where is he? What do you think he wants us to understand? What does he want his readers to know? What does he want Theophilus to know? It's a perfect plan right from the beginning. Yeah, yeah it's a perfect plan from the beginning. I mean, he misses out a lot of levels, so this genealogy is not, not full. No. But, but, but what's he doing? Yeah, he's identifying. But for, for Luke, it's really important that we understand this is the perfect man. He tells us the son of the uh, dove landed and, and this and Jesus, uh, voice is heard from God, this is my beloved son. And it's not going to be difficult for people later on, perhaps, to see him as a miraculous, unusual person, not like a normal man. So J Luke is really starting out his gospel with, this is a son of man. We can trace his genealogy back to the first man. And, uh, and that's important because what Jesus is offering us is his life in us. It's his life. It's mankind's life in us. It, yes, it's the life of God in us by his spirit. But the, life, the, the spirit in us enables us to be the man, the woman, that we are intended to be. Yeah, that Adam and Eve were not. So he's got to be the antidote to Adam. Satan will say, you know, that his his uh, it was ha he tempts Jesus. We'll talk about it in a minute. And he says, this was handed to me. This he what was it? He says in um, and verse six of chapter four. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and all its glory because it has been handed over to me. When was it handed over to Satan? When, man first when Adam and Eve first sent, and Adam as the uh, representative head of mankind. So Paul will talk about the first Adam and the second Adam, that Christ is the second Adam, and Christ will make good on what Adam did not do. Obviously, Adam and Eve both, but Adam is the representative head. So, so now uh, Paul will say that... Um, that as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, so now through another man, life enters. And it's just this perfect, what, what do you call it? Parallelism, or how do you say that? Yes, thank you. It's this perfect symmetry all the way through. In every instance, there's this 
this kind of repetition of statements so that we get it, we understand. Okay, this man is God, but he is also man. He is a man, and he fully identified with me, so much so that I now am able to fully identify with him. So when we read now, which we're going to read, that he goes into the, he's led into the wilderness and has to face temptation. Now what we're going to be told is that God himself, through his spirit, actually took his son into a wilderness where he would be tempted by the enemy of his soul. Oh no, it was the spirit who led him. There's so many things in here. It's like, okay, here's our life. Yes, here's your life. Okay, we, we always ascribe these things to Satan. The devil made me do it. He led me. He did this. He did that. But actually... It's turned upside down here. In order for Jesus to fully identify with us, his father sent the spirit to lead him into a place where he would be faced with temptation as hard as ours. Maybe uh, harder. Um, you know where the Bible where it said Jesus ever, it was beyond, he always led. Yes. No, he, but this, oh, the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. Yes, definitely. Mm. No, no. Mm. Well, I don't know. We're going to actually get to that now, actually. Yeah, we're going to get to that. But I think, um, first of all, <laughs> before we get into it, think about it. Matthew and Luke are really detailed in their description of the um, temptations. Why? What is important in the temptations? that we are supposed to understand. That you can be tempted and yet have no sin. Yes, that he was tempted and had no sin. Yeah. But think about this. Yes. Yes, definitely that. But think about the first Adam and the second Adam. What has Christ to do that Adam didn't do? Because he's the second Adam. He's the one who brings life. What was Adam? What was Adam and Eve? What were they both given at the beginning when when they were created? What were they given? Genesis chapter one twenty six. Dominion. They were given dominion. They were given authority over the whole creation, and they gave that away when they decided to disobey God. So now, what must the God man? What must this man do to be the second Adam? He must. Be the king, the ruler over the whole creation, which includes Satan. He has to be, have dominion and be the perfect king. You said that earlier. But what's the second thing he has to do that Adam and Eve didn't do? He, he was, Adam and Eve were given dominion. They were to rule and reign. But also what, what else were they to rule over? They were to rule over the whole creation, but what, did, what else? They were to rule over themselves. They were to have self-control, and they did not do it. So, so Adam and Eve, both, they were given authority over the entire creation, which they handed away because they couldn't control themselves. They saw, they lusted, they wanted 
whatever it was. They disobeyed in whatever way you want. They did not control themselves. So now Jesus, as the second Adam, has to not only rule the creation, so, and that will be shown when he stills the storms and he um, you know, makes the fig tree uh, die. So not only his rulership and authority over creation, turning water to wine, but also his control over his own desires because he is 100% man. So he has all the desires of a, per a human being and he must be in control of them. Mm. It's so interesting to me, so interesting that... And, and then when I think about that and think, okay, I think that this world is pretty tempting and that we have lots of temptations, don't we? Mm. But when you think that he was tempted in all ways, mm. I mean, there's probably a wide range of issues that tempt us here, but he had everything that he had to overcome. And that wasn't automatic. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. He had to uh, control his own human desires in order to give us the life that mm. he came to give. And that's important. Immense. People sort of tend to think, well, because he was part God, he was mm. God, mm. so Yes, of course. Yeah, I have to. It wasn't. No, exactly. Yes. So um, Paul will say in Romans eight that um, uh, that it, it, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for what the law could not do um, that Christ did. Um, and has fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. In fact, that's a terrible misquote. So Romans 8. Yeah, Romans 8, thank you. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So the requirement of the law, that word requirement is exactly the same word as righteousness in the Greek. So the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us who walk according to. According to means under the dominion of the spirit rather than under the dominion of the flesh. How can Christ do that for us? Because he overruled his spirit, his natural, sorry, his natural tendencies, his flesh. He overruled it. So he can condemn sin in the flesh because he actually did condemn sin in the flesh. Because, yes, in his death, of course, but also in his life before, he had to have this control of himself and, um, yeah, of the enemy. So... Um, I, I do find a check in my spirit when I hear preachers attributing uh, our human instincts to Christ. Yeah. Because mm. he overcame... Mm. Uh, I heard that when the temple uh, was ripped, ripped from top to bottom, that someone, that someone said just the other week, didn't they, that it was ripped violently from top to bottom. I thought, no, 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 no. Mm. You're giving God your attribute for violence. Mm. Mm. That's not him. Mm. Uh, uh, mm. Yeah. I think the condemning, um, he condemned sin 
in the flesh, he overcame sin in the flesh. And that's the thing. So it is con the condemning power of sin or the power of sin in our lives was overcome by Christ fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law in that he did not give in to the temptations that came his way. That's how he um, fulfilled it. I know we know all this stuff, but it's so... <laughs> I, there's so much more in here, isn't there? There's just so I much find, more. And also, I find it quite difficult to completely grasp because we all know that he was born totally Yes, sinless. exactly. So we feel he had nothing to attach it exactly. to. Exactly. No inheritance. Yes, exactly. Nothing. It's difficult it to, is. to it is. understand yeah. how actually he can... It is. You know, when it says he, was, he had all Tempting. forms of temptation... Mm. Mm. Uh, when he had no sin to connect it to. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But I think that is the uh, that is the wonder of it in some ways. I, I totally agree. It's difficult to get your head around it and mm. to figure it out. But in some ways, um, that's what Paul will tell us in Philippians, isn't it? That he didn't consider equality with God yes. a thing to be grasped. Yes. Yes. It's almost like he deliberately took the difficulty of mm. not fall, falling to temptation. He deliberately took the... Mm the clothes of a sinner even though he wasn't a sinner um, I, it's yeah I, I don't know I suppose in a small way you could say naturally he was going to be hungry after yes days. yes so that's a that's what I mean yeah that's what we're going to get to now so um, so but I think that the thing that that really does uh, impress upon us is um, Paul all the New Testament writers Talk about Christianity. If you are a Christian, you walk by the Spirit. It's not there are Christians who walk by the Spirit and those who don't. Mm. The reality in the New Testament is if you're a Christian, you walk by the Spirit. You don't always succeed. You might miserably fail lots of times, but you are a person who walks according to the Spirit. And that's what we've lost in our generation. Mm. We've lost this idea that... We, we think it's possible to be a Christian who just doesn't ever get it right, but that somehow that's all okay. But is it possible to walk by the flesh as well? It is, but, but he's talking about under the dominion of. If you know what the word means, Absolutely it means under the dominion that. of, yes, which is a different thing, isn't it? Yes, yes we sin. John will say, yes. we, if we say we haven't got sin, we're a liar. Uh, so, yes, we sin, but we are not under the dominion of sin. So the practice of sin over and over and over and over again is an incl inclination to us that maybe we're not who we think we are. Yeah. We're not and saved. Some Christians, you notice that it takes quite a long time. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, Emmy won't mind me saying, but I mean, she smoked for ages, and mm. people would say, oh my goodness, mm. you smoke. Mm. You can't really be mm. a Christian. Mm. Well, she was. Mm. It just took a long time. Yeah, to yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. C.S. Lewis. Yes. Right. But, but, but I, I think the key is, is when you give your life to the Lord, that Holy Spirit comes in. Yes, yes. He helps you. Yes, um, definitely. When it says God um, uh, made him who had no sin yeah. for us. Mm. So it's not our righteousness. No, it's Christ's it's righteousness. righteousness. Yeah. It's yeah. All glory is to him. Yeah, it yeah. it is. Yeah. And it's difficult to, uh, because it is his righteousness, it's not ours, and we do sin, and mm. yeah, yeah, we have things that take us years yeah. to get over. But the, the, yeah. the thing is, 
I think that the thing is, if we don't see, read in the scriptures that, okay, this is how Paul viewed Christianity. This is how God views Christianity. Christianity is not you saying you believe in Jesus. It's you living the life by the spirit that you would have received. And yes, that's difficult. And yes, you don't always get it right. And yes, we have a human nature still. But there has to be some progress. And the thing is, if we're not told that, we think it's okay, we can just carry on as we were. And then you can be deceived and not have received the Holy Spirit, but you know all the language of it. You know the language, you go to the right, th- you go to the right places, you sit with other believers, you can talk with them and chat with them. For all intents and purposes, you are a believer, but inside you've never received the Spirit, so you actually do not have dominion over the sin. He d- also, notice the evidence of somebody changing. Yeah. People change at different yeah. speeds. Yeah. Because this faith of ours is spirit to spirit, mm. God to speak, then you know that you are, when people are sharing with you like this, you get the same impression. They know all the words, mm. all the right places. Mm. There's something. Yes, yes. Mm. That connection is. Yes, there. yes. Mm. And, and it, it's, sad. it's very sad. It oh, is sad yeah, because. And actually, that's one of the things the next conference is going to be about, the, the way that we deceive ourselves, the way that we are deceived, the way that, um, yeah, that actually, you know, there are probably millions of professing Christians who are deceived because they don't think that the life of a Christian is supposed to be different. And, Yeah. And I, I said last time, didn't I? I mean, that movie, uh, vi- video, and I, I know it can't be the same for us because we don't live in Iran or in those places, but that Sheep Among Wolves video, I mean, those people who received Christ, their lives are completely mm. and utterly upside down. They're changed completely. And that was New Testament Christianity. Yeah. That's New Testament Christianity. It's this understanding I'm not the same. I've been bought with a price. I was a sinner. I am now a saint. And I have to live a different life. I mean, it's... So anyway, Luke 4. Um, uh, yeah, and, and I, hear me when I say, I'm not saying that we get it right all the time or that we're perfect. Far from it. There are still areas in my life that I can't believe I still haven't uh, walked fully out of. But um, there is a, grow- a process of growth. And that's important. Um, okay. Yes, he does. Yes. 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 I think the difficulty, though, sometimes. Yes, absolutely. And but I think one of the difficulties is that the obvious sins like smoking and drinking and and uh, other addictions yes. they're the obvious ones that if they take us 10 years to get rid of which mine took it's like okay what's been uncovered underneath all of that and now i see sins of the heart yes. rather than sins simply of the flesh now i see the things that really are yeah, underneath and are actually worse even though you can't see them yes. So, 
Yeah. So anyway, um, he's led into the world, uh, into the wilderness, and uh, led around for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, "If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread." And Jesus answered him, "It is written, man shall not live on bread alone." Um, these three temptations we know so well. We've read these so many times, but. Um, you know, let's think about Christ as the second Adam. What is it that Satan is saying to him that is, uh, that, that is recorded for us in such a way as to show us that Jesus didn't do what Adam did? He didn't. Uh, what is the temptation here for Jesus? I think, yes, in, in a general way, Malachi, I think that's probably true of all of the... But I think it's interesting to me that if, in this sentence, if you are the Son of God, is not an if, it's not the same if, if as the one in verse 9. Mm. So in Greek, if the word that's translated if can mean since, or if there's a doubt. So, so this word in this sentence, in, in verse 3, is since you are the Son of God... Turn these stones into bread. So it's not that there's any doubt about it. Okay, the devil says, you are the son of God, so turn the, bread, the stones into bread. So what is the temptation here for Jesus? Yeah, but think about it. Think about it in terms of us. As people, Jesus is identifying with us in the wilderness. What part of him is being tempted here? What does Luke tell us? He was hungry. He was hungry. So the devil has come to him. Okay, I know you're the son of God. So you're hungry. Why don't you just give yourself something to eat? What is it that we're being shown? Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone. That's his answer. What he means is, I might be a physical body, and my physical body might be tired, and it might be thirsty, and it might be hungry, but that is less important than my obedience to my father. That is less important than me doing what I am able to do because I am the son of God. Do you see what I mean? That's just like you said the woman at the well, isn't it? Yes. 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 You see, the thing is, he's been led into this wilderness, and he has the Holy Spirit. So now he's going to offer to us a life with the Holy Spirit, a new life, and that new life is not physical. It's spiritual. So the temptation to feed the physical in any way is going to be strong in us. Because what does it really matter? What does it really matter if we have, you know, if we're comfortable? I mean, why would it have mattered if he had eaten, if he'd turned stones into bread? The devil knew he was God. Why does it matter? He was hungry 40 days without food. Why would it have mattered? Yes, there's that. Obeying the devil, giving in, yes. yes. But think about it. He's not 
Satan isn't saying, well, I'm not sure you are the son of God. Prove it. He's saying, I know you're the son of God, since you are. So what's the thing? Say that again, go back up. God has led him there for 40 days. Actually, God led him to fast. And only God can say when the end of that fast comes. And now Jesus is tempted to be God and end the fast. God has led him into the wilderness by the Spirit. What for? To be tempted To be tempted, yes, in the ways we recognize, but to be tempted at a much deeper level Mm -hmm. to satisfy his physical need. Now, we have that all over. We are constantly bombarded to satisfy our physical needs. And it's the eve of Yom Kippur. Yeah. So we all ought to be fasting. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, thankfully, I don't have to now, Eve, because Christ (laughs) did that for me. Yeah. Yes. And the second Adam, of course, didn't. Didn't. He was offered. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yes. It is the difference. And what he did Mm. was, what he said, Jesus, in that is that my physical body is secondary to the will of God. So if God tells me not to eat, I'm not eating. If he's led me here to fast, that's what I'm doing. It's the subjection of our physical nature, our physical body, to the will of God. Now, you know, think about that. Think about that in, in terms of everything that, you know, like eating. Look, think of all the, the overeating we do, the overdrinking we do, the overstimulating we do in all sorts of areas. We take the things that are given to us that are good things and we overuse them for the sake of our physical body. Drink, sex, food, everything you can think of. Normal things that God has given us, but we overuse them because we want to feed our physical body. And what Jesus says is, your physical body is less important by far than doing the will of God. Um, and interesting enough, today, a lot of people are fasting. Ah, right, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, and... So he comes, so the Satan comes with this, and, and Jesus answered, Man shall not live by bread alone. Why does he use that particular verse? He could have used lots of other verses from the Old Testament. Why does he use that verse to say? Just in the first verse, man, man. The devil knows he's God. He's not saying, as the Son of God, I'm not going to give in because I'm going to obey my Father, which he has said before. I only do, he does, says later, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father saying. But he's not doing that. He's meeting this temptation head on in his physical nature, being hungry, being thirsty, but saying, man does not live. Man does not live by bread alone. Um, So here's the human nature and see the hope in this verse, mm. the hope. You know, I can, I am going to be enabled to do the things that God asks me to do with my physical body. I am going to be able to give up those things that he asks me to give up, even when they seem like ordinary good things. I'm going to be able to do that because he will enable me too. Why? Because the second Adam, his spirit lives within me. 
and he will enable me to do it. Um, what Jesus did as a man, he offers to us. He offers to us. And in every temptation here, he meets as a man. And therefore, it's like he's saying to us, look, look, I'm going to live within you. You're going to live in me. You can, you can do this. You can do this as a human being. Um, and to find the victory, he used the scripture, which, of course, we know to do. Um, but I remember, um, as a young Christian, um, when I first was introduced to the fact that God wanted me to stop drinking, I would quote a verse to myself over and over, 1 Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. When you are tempted, he will always provide a way of escape that you might endure it. And I would say it over and over and over and over again, and after about half an hour, I'd open the fridge door and pour a glass of wine. Why? What was I doing? I mean, I was using the word of God. Yes. What's different? Exactly, I wasn't receiving it. I was using it as a mantra, no. some sort of magic incantation. <laughs> I'm just going to say this over and over again, and it's going to protect me. And there is power in the word, but the yeah. only power in the word is when the spirit enables me to stand on that word. And not, it's not a magic formula. People use the word of God like a magic formula. So... Jesus doesn't use the word like a magic formula. He doesn't go around, you know, man does not live on by bread alone, man does not live by bread alone. He decides, that's a truth that I'm going to live by. That's a truth. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And I am choosing to live standing on that word. And I believe, totally believe, that all of the those types of physical issues that we have are beaten when completely defeated when we choose to stand on that word of God. When we find the word that is for us and stand on that. And I believe you don't have to repeat it 500 times. It's choosing to hold it for yourself and to believe it. I believe all of our issues could be dealt with in, if we do that. Um, also, Jesus always had the perfect answer. Yes, yes, <coughs> yes, yes. I don't always, but <laughs> I, find, I find his answers fascinating. Yes, they yes, stuff. they are. It says, isn't it, that he knows what's in man? Yes, 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 yes. 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 And and he chose to continue to do the word of God, even though um, he didn't have to. I've got a little example. Um, a couple that I read about who went uh, felt led by God to go to Texas and join a seminary in Texas. So they packed up and they travelled to Texas and they settled in a small apartment and the temperature rose and the temperature rose and it got to be about 100 over degrees. And they decided within a few days that God hadn't really called them to this <laughs> school. It was too hot. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yes. That's a physical yes. decision. A, a, it's a, it's a, a, a behaviour that is based on a physical mm. sensation or difficult feeling. Mm. And that's just the opposite of what Jesus did. This couple felt led to go to this seminary. Mm. This is where God wanted them to go. Basically, they're saying, well, you couldn't have known it would be this hot. <laughs> so we're moving back. Jesus, well, I know you led me into the wilderness to fast, but you couldn't have known I'd be this hungry. Yeah. It's that idea. Mm. So, um, yeah. So, 
uh, verse 5 to 8. Um, and he led him, uh, the devil led, led Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Um, some people think that this involves worldliness and pride, and, and it probably does. I'm sure there's pride in there, a desire to possess things. Um, when you think of Eve, when she looked at the fruit, you know, she saw that it was good to the eyes, desirable to make one wise, and that it would taste good. So there is that sense that she wanted to possess something and uh, probably that's involved in here but think about this particular temptation think about Jesus and who he is um, what is Satan offering Jesus well, is it that Jesus the man to be worshipped instead of Jesus who was God um, possibly there's that involved in it yes what what does actually what does Satan actually offer Jesus? If you worship me, he says, I'll do what? Exactly. He's offering him what God has promised him yes. but that he's got to wait for and that he's got to walk a path of yes. suffering for. Right. So what Satan is saying is, Okay, you can have it now. Yeah. You can have it now. Yeah. And actually, it's a really good thing. Because mm. if Jesus had said yes to that, yes, yes, yes. Think, we would have had a world without war, no violence, no killing, no sadness. No sadness. I mean, it, it would be really good if he'd taken that offer. That's what I mean, yes, but, exactly. But what wouldn't we have had? We wouldn't have had redemption. We wouldn't have had salvation, exactly. So, but what I mean is, can you see, it was a good thing. And Jesus would have known he was getting that. That is mine. I am having that. He would have known that. That was the plan. But this, the temptation is to have it outside of the timing of God. Okay, now put yourself in that situation. All the situations about that. Um, because this is a good thing he's being offered. He's being offered that something... Exactly. He's being offered something that he knows he's going to get. Yes. That is actually his it's, it's already his. Yes, exactly. But but we don't. So what what's the lesson for us then here? Because this is all written for us, isn't it? It's like this is who Jesus is, and this is who he has. He is who lives in me. So what is this for me then? Because Jesus could have said, "Okay, I'll take it." I know he wouldn't have done. I know that's not Jesus, but he could have. And we could say, okay, okay, I'll take it. Because I know God has this great plan for me. I know he's got perfect healing for me in heaven. I know that I'm one day not going to have any sorrow, any pain, any tears. So you're going to give that to me now? That's great, I'll have it. And lots of professing Christians want it now. I want to be healthy all the time. I want to be prosperous. I don't want sorrow. I don't want any problems in my children or my grandchildren. I want life to go a nice, easy route. Why shouldn't it? That's what I've been promised. So 
what is it that Jesus turns down here? And what would we be turning down? If Satan comes and says, okay, I can, I can promise you, your life will be perfectly easy. Your children will grow up into old age. Your grandchildren will be wonderfully healthy. They'll all get straight A's. They'll go to fantastic universities. They'll marry wonderful people. You know, what is Satan asking us? What is he offering us? Yes. No. But let's supposing he said, let's supposing you had a cast iron guarantee that you would get it. What what is it that Jesus is turning? What is it that Jesus is choosing above that? He's choosing God's will and God's way, knowing that God's way is the way of suffering, knowing that doing God's will costs. It will cost him pain and heartache and sorrow and ultimately death. That expression, he set his face towards Yes. Always wrenches my heart. Yeah. And he chose that. You see, that's, a, that's such a lesson for us, isn't it? I mean, because, you know, being offered good things... We don't automatically... It seems like, okay, well, why would not God want me to have that? Why wouldn't he? Exactly. Doesn't he want me to have these things? So the, the real difficulty is walking through the difficult things, the painful things, and understanding this is the road God has marked out for me, and that's okay with me. Yeah. It's ultimately being in the will of God. Yes. Yeah. Equality with God things be grasped. Yeah. In a way, he'd been offered something. Exactly. Yes. Which is God's. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And was his, actually. Because he was equal with God. So it was his. It was not bad. No. It's not bad. Exactly. That's it. And the and the easier road rather than the hard road. It's hard to choose the hard road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really difficult. And when we're offered an easy road, most mm-hmm. of us, you know, ninety nine percent of us would want. Yes, we want that. We want it. Goodness, you look at somebody like Alan and you just think, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to to do. To do the thing God has set for you, it's hard to accept it, and it's certainly hard to choose it. Um, so I've got a question here: Are you being confronted by a good thing that attracts you? I don't mean a sinful thing; I mean a good thing. Are you being attracted by, um, yeah, by something in your ministry, in your life, in your? That, that is a good thing, no sin attached, at least on the surface, mm-hmm. but that it would mean that you have decided to go that way rather than the way that God has already shown you. Mm-hmm. And that's a big question for us because, um, yeah. Do you think, Milan, it's also that when before you have any suffering, you think you really don't want that? Yeah, yeah. But then when it comes, if you choose to embrace and God with it then you actually wouldn't ever want to exactly mm. but the people that are yeah. perhaps not understanding this 
tend to try and hold back yeah. so that they have an easier life yeah. because they can look at other people who are having yeah. a terrible time, but they don't realise yeah. that's a Rob who's just yeah. gone to be with them. Yeah. He's actually showing them that yeah. this way is okay. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. <coughs> and I think as well as that, um, I think most of us in the West, uh, probably myself included, uh, we just don't get close enough to God mm. to see him as he really is. Yeah. And so we're easily distracted by things that look good. Mm. I don't mean sinful things. I mean things that look good. Like maybe success in your ministry or, or a, a reputation or something. We're easily attracted to those things because after all they're for God. And so that would drag us away. So we want people to recognize us. We want people to, to see that we are. But actually all that just takes that attention from God. So it's like we're saying, okay, I want the good stuff. I want the things you give me more than you. I want the things more than you. And that's really, I think with yours, what you were saying, Vanessa, that's what it is actually. It's being... We don't get to a place very seldom where we say, God, actually, I don't care. I just want you. Mm-hmm. Anything else is worth, y- yeah. you know, I'll, I'll do anything to have you, to have your will in my life. Mm-hmm. Perfect submission, yeah. Also, we don't get close to God, do we, unless we've gone through exactly. real suffering? Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's like you're thankful for it afterwards mm. because it's shown you so much. Mm. You can identify with yeah. people. I, I, I think yeah. suffering is a huge, yeah. valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you call it. It is. Emotion. I mean, it's yeah. painful. It is. Being, but it's, it is. It's wonderful afterwards. Yes. They'd be horrified in Iran, the mm. Christian community, if they knew what was going on in the church. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely horrified. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. And it's a shameful thing, actually, because a lot of the time, I mean, A, you've got lots of people who, are, who think they're Christians and I think who are not. Not that I'm judging that I'm not, but I'm just saying I think that's possibly true. But, but also, you've got all of the real Christians who haven't yet got close enough to God to know that he's better than all the gifts that he gives. He's better than the blessings that he brings. He's, he's better than the peace and the joy and, the, and all of that. He's better than that. And that I would forsake the peace and the joy and the everything if I had to to have God. Do you know what I mean? It's, uh, you can't because he, he, he brings peace and joy, but it's that he is peace and joy, yeah. So it's rather difficult to detach. It is, I know, but even if you could, you know. You see, I, I think if, if you removed from me the love, joy, peace, gentleness, mm. goodness, mm. patience, self-control, removed it and said... Right now, you just have God. Mm. I wouldn't have God if I didn't. No, have I know. Do I do, but I mean, what I'm talking about is the conscious understanding of the peace. So, for example, if God were to say to me, "Okay, I'm going to take you on a road, and you're going to really struggle to know that I'm there because you're not going to hear my voice every day. Mm. You're not going to, you know, like some of these people are in prison, or these Iranian women who were yes. they they know they they're going to be raped when they mm. become Christians, mm. and they say, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's it's 
it's not that God isn't there with me. It's that I won't experience the presence of God for a while. Of course, I will in the end because he's God. But would I say yes to that? I mean, it's extreme and hopefully he'll never ask me. But, but would I say yes to that? Because I want him, even if I don't experience him for a while on that. And the orphan allows us this. Yeah, I think so. I think so. This is the problem, isn't it? When Christianity is presented as something super smashing love. Yes. And yes. But, um, and I yes. said to Paul, I want to show him how much he's going to suffer. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. That's Jesus to Ananias, yeah. Yes. Yeah, about Paul. Exactly. That's it. And we've heard a story the other day about It's a very, very brief story, I promise you. And that was, um, you weren't allowed in the 70s and 80s in Russia to pray as a group. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happened was this group was praying and a Russian soldier came in with a great coat and a machine gun. And he said, I'll give all of you a chance, a large chance, anyone who's not truly committed, off you go. Mm. Six out of the twelve went. Right. After five minutes, he took off his great coat, put down his gun, and joined them in. I mean, that sorts out. Yeah, it does. It does. It does. It's interesting, isn't it? Actually, that's. Um, I've been. I said to you, I'd kind of rewritten it. Ne- the next two conferences. Mm. I mean, I believe that Jesus is coming back soon, and all the signs are pointing to it. And so the next one is called "Be Ready." And and uh, and I, 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 in the next two, we're going to talk about the rapture and various other things. And mm. and I've been thinking a lot about the rapture and why I believe that it will happen before the tribulation mm. and um, all of that. And I know that there are people who don't, and that's okay. You can be wrong. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes, exactly. But no. But one thing uh, I heard—I must have heard or read—and I can't remember which it was, but uh, not an original thought from me. But I think I heard or read that uh, eighty percent of the religious population of the world are being persecuted for their faith, whatever faith that may be—Christianity, Jews, Muslims, obviously, some more than others. And of that 80% of the world, 70%, something like that, are Christians. So, um, and, and what was being explained in what I was reading or what I heard was, um, we always say, the people who say that uh, we have to go through the tribulation often say it because, you know, in a way, why should we escape? You know, why should we escape? It's just too easy and too comfortable and too, yeah, wonderful. Um, but I, what, what they were saying was, Christians don't escape tribulation. Actually, we've escaped tribulation largely in the West because we've hidden our faith and the reality of it. But that's not going to continue. We are going to, we are going to experience great tribulation, great persecution, as they are all over the world apart from here. It's starting here, and it will get worse. I believe it will get a lot worse. So we will have trouble. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. But we won't face, because that tribulation, that difficulty, that persecution is man against man. It's humans against humans. The, The tribulation is the wrath of God against the Jew, Israel, and the world. 
It's a different tribulation. It is the time of distress. It is the tribulation. And it is the judgment of God on unbelievers. So you were saying we're going through a tribulation. We are going through the, the exactly. Okay. I think we will go through lots of tribulation. Tribulation, trouble, difficulty. Mm -hmm. We will as Christians. Actually, that's what the Bible says. It's time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if, it, if it's hard for us to get through. So it's not that I think that Christians will escape. It's that I think that we will be t delivered out of the judgment of God, the wrath of God on unbelievers. Yes. Um, yeah. So, doesn't it? Yeah, it made it. Yeah. I wish I'd thought of it myself, but I can't <laughs> say I did. So there you go. So, okay. The, the, the final temptation, verse 9 of chapter 4. And he led him to Jerusalem had, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him to an opportune time. So the third tribulation, the third temptation, I think, is even more subtle than the other two and um, difficult to understand. And here, the if you are the son of God is the if of doubt. Are you really the son of God? Mm -hmm. um, so he's been in the wilderness for 40 days. He's hungry. Um, He's faced with Satan. He's, he's, he's come through those two uh, temptations. And now uh, Satan comes to him with, is it really true that you're the son of God? And if it is, why not prove it? Why not prove it? And actually, you won't be proving it. God will prove it. God will prove to you by sending angels to hold you up because that's what he's promised. So... Um, what is actually Jesus being tempted to do here? Yeah, testing God. But why would he test him? What's the underneath the test? Doubt. That's the thing. Doubt. Are you really a Christian? Are you really a child of God? Are you really sure that you belong to God? Are you sure he knows where you are and he knows what you're going through? Are you really sure? Why not try this to prove it? And actually Jesus um, quotes um, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, I think it is. No, 6, 16. And he quotes that. So if someone goes to Deuteronomy 6, 16, I'll go there if I get there first, Deuteronomy 6, 16, somebody read that out, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him at Mas Massah, right, so that, the, 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 the verse that he quotes comes from Deuteronomy 6, 16. But that verse goes back to an even earlier verse in Scripture, and that is Exodus 17. So if you go to Exodus 17, this is where you get what Jesus is, is actually, or what this is being likened to. Exodus 17, verse 7. Well, actually, I'm going to read um, from verse 1. 
Uh, then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of Sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do a little more, and they will stone me? Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before this people and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take your hand, your, in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And then here it is. He named the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That was their thing. It was, how can we be thirsty if God is here among us? Now think of where they've just come from. They've just come out of Egypt with mighty miracles. They've He's parted the Red Sea. They've traveled into the wilderness. The Egyptians were all covered in the sea. And so now they've reached this place. And now they're saying, is God really here? Okay. So think about yourself. Okay. Another little example. It'll be quick. You wake up one morning and you feel that God uh, wants you or you sense that God is leading you to go to, go to Kemble, Kemble Station and buy a ticket to London. So you go in the morning, you sense that God's there, you buy the ticket, you get on the train. And then as the train's going along, you sense that he says, get off at Reading. So you get off at Reading and you walk out of the station and there's the taxi and God says, get in that taxi. And so you get in the taxi and you go and he, you go out to a, the middle of nowhere on this little country road and you sense the Holy Spirit say, right, get out there and wait. So you get out of the taxi and you wait. And then the day goes by. You're sitting on a bench. We'll pretend there's a bench. You're sitting on the bench. The day goes by. Nothing happens. Nighttime comes. You sleep on the bench. You wake up in the morning. Nothing happens. Mm. You go through another day waiting for something to happen. How long will it be before you ask yourself, did God really tell me to get on that train? Did he really? Did he really do that? Mm -hmm. That's what he's coming to Jesus with. Are you really the son of God? I mean, this is very odd that you've been led into the wilderness for 40 days and he's given me free access. Are you sure that you're really who you think you are? And how many times? I mean, that happens to me so many times. I sense that God is leading or directing or saying something to me. And I start off with good intentions. And pretty soon, the first sign of anything that starts to slightly block my way, it's like, really, God? Oh, I must have got that wrong. I didn't hear you correctly. And it takes a great act of of my will to not do that and to continue doing what I know that God has told me to do. Now, that can happen in all sorts of ways. Rosie and Brian went, felt the Lord to get, tell them to get on a train to Manchester. Remember? That story is an amazing story to me. But you got there and wondered what you were there for. We 
And yet it turned out to be the opening of the understanding about Israel to you, or at least the, the continuing of that. So it's like we're tempted all the time to doubt God's will and God's plan for our life. We're always tempted because we're, we are faced with situations that don't look the way we think they should look if I'm obeying God and if his will for me is perfect. And that's what I think Jesus is tempted with. You know, vis-a-vis the church here. Mm. But I, I, he keeps, you know, showing me, yes, yes, There you go. Yes, that's yes. it. And like within an hour, you see the people that you know you're there for, and then the next person, he'll send in the people there for. Yes. And so, but if, you, if I didn't have that reassurance for a few weeks, would I begin to say, yes. Lord, that's Just it, so. exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's this understanding that, you know, that the enemy's going to come with his doubts. He's going to put this, are you really? Did God, yes, why he said to Eve, did God really say? So it's this, he, this is a massive weapon, you know, and some of us are more prone to it than others. I am very prone to it. Um, am I really, really? I mean, really, is it all true? Really? I mean, beam me up, Scotty. We're all going to be going up in the rapture. That mm. sounds all a bit too yeah. kind of like a science fiction movie. Oh, I'm definitely sure of that. No, but yeah. what I mean is those are the arrows that come. Really, is it true? Really? You know, and, and am I really a child of God? Because if I was really a child of God, surely after all these years I'd be further along than I am now. That's the voice of the enemy. And so it's that, I think, that Jesus was tempted with. It's hard to believe that he, de- he was tempted to doubt. Mm. But if he's tempted in all ways as we are, then he must have been tempted to doubt. He was weak, yes. He was weak, yes. Yes. Um, yes. Yes, definitely. Definitely. When you're not expecting it and when... Yeah. So I think the thing to, that, just to finish with, I mean, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 18, tells us that Jesus was tempted in all things as we are. He was made like his brethren and was tempted in all things as we are. And one of the things that I think this last temptation shows us that God will not furnish us with proof. He will not give us proof. No, because that is the opposite of faith. So I think that that understanding that there won't be any proof and that you will be attacked by the enemy because you don't have proof. I can't tell you, in the beginning of my Christian life, well, not in the beginning, but after about five years, I was seriously tempted to go to Bible school, to go to seminary, actually in Canada, in Vancouver, there's um, quite a good um, seminary. And I was... I was recommended to go there. I was told that would be great. We can, we can make the introduction for you. Why don't you go? Why don't you go? And there was all of this. Maybe I should go, Lord. Maybe I should go. Even though God had told me, you are never going to have any letter of recommendation. You are never going to have any, any letters after your name. You are never going to have any distinction at all to do what you're doing. But that... that a desire in me to have that, to have that accreditation, the desire to to fit into something and to say that I came through this place and mm. and and the proof, yeah, the yeah. proof, 
that, you know, well, I could go there because that would be great and then I could do this and then I could do that and then it would all be wonderful. And God's saying, but I've told you, this is the road you're going to walk. And, but so many times in my life has Satan brought that to me. Mm. Well, you know, if you'd just done that, why didn't you just do that? Mm. That would have meant all of this wouldn't have happened. Yes. Yes. I, it is, yeah. It, is, it, it is. didn't. It, but I wanted the Royal Albert Hall, so it wasn't very happy to hear that. But, you know, no, I wanted to go there, Simon, and speak there like Billy Graham. You know, that, that suited my image of myself, you know. But. Yes, exactly. Yes. 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 Yes, no. they didn't know it, yeah. Um, but, um, but he was back where, you know, actually, mm. Jesus, God, was back mm. there. Mm. So it was, are you really God? Mm. Because you can, this is God's place, you can do anything from here, and God will send his angels. So, so that temptation to doubt, and the answer to that, of course, Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And, and what he's told us is, that we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and hold, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And that, I mean, this, I thought I knew these temptations until I looked again at them. And I think there's, there's I think even then we could go, yeah, you could go on and on and on and still not reach the bottom of it. And, you know, I, I mean, I read loads of commentaries and lots of books, so this, I can't say that everything I've said has come solely from, you know, God speaking directly to me. Uh, it's hard for me to remember because I read so much <coughs> all the time. But um, I believe that some of the things I thought about these temptations, uh, I, was, I only skimmed the surface of them. And I'm grateful to God for showing me more. So... Father, thank you. It's, we've run a little bit late, Lord, with all my illustrations. And, um, but I thank you, Lord. I thank you, first of all, that you withstood these temptations. I thank you that you, you did what I would never have been able to do. And you have given me now, by your spirit, the ability to at least know how to answer the enemy when he comes to me and, and tempts me in all these different ways to choose away from you, to choose him and not you. So I thank you, Lord, that this road is, a, is sometimes hard. I thank you that that drives me to you. I thank you that the temptation to doubt enables me to stand and believe, and that too brings the reassurance that I am truly a child of God. And so I pray for every one of us, Lord, that in the ways that Satan comes at us, that you would give us the tools needed to fight him and to actually pull down those speculations and lofty things that are raised up against the knowledge of you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I see you next week.